Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Synergy Cast. It has been almost six months since I released an episode. I have missed you all so much, and I hope you all miss listening to Synergy Cast as well. On this week's episode, I am so pumped to introduce you all to Dr. Kristen Casey, who is a clinical psychologist, a content creator, and author of Life Lessons to Master Before You Die, Therapy Insights. She joins me today for a conversation where we discuss her journey in becoming a mental health clinician, her experiences becoming a quote-unquote TikTok therapist, and what it's like being a therapist in the pandemic. We also discuss how to prevent clinician burnout, and we end with some of her favorite tips on how to improve sleep hygiene. Please check out Dr. Kristen Casey on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Dr. Kristen Casey and also at Evolve Psychological. I also have linked her website in the episode notes, so please go show her some love. And if you're interested in any extra resources on learning more about sleep hygiene, Dr. Kristen Casey provided some amazing resources. I also linked those in the episode notes, the National Sleep Foundation, as well as the American Academy for Sleep Medicine. Just putting a content warning out there that we do talk about being a therapist in the global pandemic and some of our struggles with that. We do talk about loss due to the global pandemic, and we also mention substance use towards the end of the episode. So if any of those topics trigger any strong or uncomfortable emotions or feelings for you, please utilize that self-care while listening, and it's okay to pause and take a break too. All right, everyone, that's it for the episode notes. I am so excited for you all to listen to this episode. I had so much fun recording it with Dr. Kristen Casey, and I hope you all take away something from it. As you listen to Synergy Cast, please keep in mind that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a replacement for, nor is it a substitute for mental health treatment or medical, legal, or other advice. If you are struggling, please consult a doctor or mental health provider. If you need extra support, please refer to the hotlines and resources in my link tree. If you are a current or former client of mine, please note that you could be at risk in breaching your confidentiality and privacy by engaging on my SynergyCast page or on my personal page at Sonia Showers. And that can look like following, liking, reposting, and commenting. In order to protect your privacy, I will not acknowledge any disclosure of a professional relationship with you. Please engage mindfully and remember to protect your own privacy. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, I am so excited to have Dr. Kristen Casey on the show. I'm kind of having like a fangirl moment right now because I feel like I'm such a big fan of yours and I've been following you on TikTok and just social media for a while now. And honestly, like your content is amazing and it really inspires me to make content myself. And just the fact that I have you here on the show, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. So thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Oh my gosh. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be here. And that's totally the whole purpose of me being on social media is to encourage other people to share. So that's so nice to hear. Definitely. I love that. I love that so much. And I want to start off with just a little introduction before we dive deep into our conversation. Um, just in case any listeners haven't had the chance of coming across your page yet. So Dr. Kristen Casey is a clinical psychologist, a creator, and author of this amazing book, which we're also going to talk about today. It's called Life Lessons to Master Before You Die, Therapy Insights. And I'll put a link in the episode notes for you all to check that out if you'd like. But I'm going to kind of hand it off to you and ask what else do you want to share about yourself to the listeners before we get started? Yeah, so I, um, I'm a clinical psychologist, like you mentioned, I own a telehealth private practice licensed in a bunch of states. Um, the one thing that I really love doing is talking about mental health on social media. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I was an EMT in my first career. So this is technically my second career, which is a little unique compared to other psychologists. Um, I really loved, I loved being on the ambulance. It was so fun for me, um, really humbling experience, which, which actually helped me write the book, um, Life Lessons to Master Before You Die. Um, I took a lot of, um, 
I took a lot of situations that I was in with clients on the ambulance and clients in therapy. And I kind of came up with an idea of what people struggle with the most and what people are really geared up for in terms of, you know, um, life goals. You know, a lot of us have patterns like with life goals and stuff like that. And I noticed that there's a lot of people who have similar experiences with life. So I wanted to put it into one book. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the most major thing. Um, I'm also writing another book about sleep, which is going to take me forever, but I'm excited about that. So I should be starting that next month. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that about yourself. And I know you're also a dog mom, yes. which I'm so excited about. Cause I Yay. am such a dog person. Like I grew up oh. around dogs and they just like have a special spot in my heart always. So when I see that you're a dog mom, I'm like, I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. What kind of dog do you have? I have a lab. He's a golden lab and his name is Rudy and he has like green eyes and we've had him ever since he was a puppy, but now he's like six. So it's cool to see like how much their personalities change over time. They really do. Yeah. I have a German shepherd who is about one and a German shepherd who's three and they're a handful, but like they keep me going. Like, I don't know about your dog, but like, I feel like I have to maintain a schedule. I have to actually like have my life together because I have to take care of them. But yeah, being a dog mom is like super, super cool. That's amazing. Definitely. It's yeah. such a privilege to be able it to is. share life with an, a beautiful animal mm-hmm. like that. So definitely. Yeah. And I know you spoke to having experience working in the physical health field as well as the mental health. And the more I personally learn about both is like, they're both very interconnected. So I can really see how your book kind of formed from, and even your practice kind of formed from um, borrowing some stuff that you definitely probably picked up on from when you were working on the ambulance and then now as a clinical psychologist as well. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, <clears throat> the thing that was the most compelling for me on the ambulance was, um, you know, being able to have the privilege of being around people either during their last moments on earth, or um, if they're in a lot of pain, emotional or physical pain, of course, um, and being able to actually intervene and help, you know, I, I think it takes a certain level of vulnerability from a client to trust someone else. Right. And of course there's people out there who are not trustworthy. Right. Um, but in, I take it very seriously. I'm really big with ethics and all of that stuff. So I took my job really seriously. And I noticed that when people were either, you know, actively dying or they knew it was kind of like they were on their last leg, they would tell me things. They would just start talking and it was pretty incredible. The things that I've heard. And I was just so happy that they would share those things with me. Um, <clears throat> so I kind of, you know, didn't, I didn't take their whole words, right. Um, and quotes from them, of course, but I really kind of tried to capture the essence of what they were trying to tell me and put it in this book. So I almost feel like I could honor them through the, through the book too, which I, I think is just so special. It's really cool. Definitely. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And it was so beautiful the way you worded that too, because I've had that are not in the field ask, would you be a therapist just to like get the tea or just to get the (laughs) gossip? And I'm like, I hear that. Like I I understand that, but to me, I really feel like it's a privilege and I feel like it's an honor when someone feels like it's a safe space for me to kind of hold their life stories for them. So that's kind of how I respond to that. When people ask me that question, yeah. I don't know if you get that question, but I've gotten that a few times and I'm like, yeah. no, I, I'm, I think of it kind of more as an honor <laughs> to, to hold space for that rather Absolutely. than like I'm getting all the tea. Yeah. <laughs> there no, can I love be that. tea though. <laughs> oh, of course there's, there's always tea depending on if the client wants to share, but that's, I, you described that so beautifully because I think of it like this. I think of it like for me personally, my whole, um, how do I word this? Like one of my values in life is connecting on a very deep level. And I really, really value that, like just authentic connection, whether it's, you know, uh, painful, euphoric, great, neutral, whatever it is, as long as it's real, it makes me feel like I have so much meaning in my life. And I think with therapy, you just, you get just that these, you know, people are so resilient and they're so strong and they're so vulnerable in therapy. Right. So you actually get a full taste of what it's like to sit across from someone either virtually or non-virtually. Right with no cell phones, no other real agenda other than healing and and connecting. And it's just the most beautiful thing. I almost feel like, you know, you could learn all the tactics in school and um, you could really become a really good clinician in terms of the techniques that you use. But if you have a sense of wanting to connect on a really deep level, therapy just transforms and it's so cool. (laughs) I just love seeing that. Exactly. Yeah. It's one of the most beautiful things about the job is just to witness, right? Just to be there to witness and support and kind of be like the cheerleader or hold their hand along the way. 
Um, and I like how you said that therapy is, it's, it's about that connection. It's about that relationship that you have between therapist and client. Um, and I think that's one of the most amazing things because it also models, hopefully if, if we do our job as we're supposed to be, it kind of model models what a healthy relationship could be like. And client, I've had clients share with me like, okay, I'm kind of comparing, obviously you can't have the same relationship that you have right. with your therapist with others, but it kind of gives people an idea of like, okay, I feel safe and comfortable sharing mm-hmm. with this person. So maybe that's something I can look for in other relationships as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are some people out there who have never really had a healthy connection with anybody. So if a therapist is seeing a client, I don't, I don't know sometimes if we realize how impactful that connection can be, even if it's like 45 minutes once a week. I mean, some people have never had someone tell them I'm proud of you, or I'm really excited for this triumph. And this like really good thing that happened to you, you know, like some people don't have people like that in their their life. And I think therapists are really special people. At least I find us to be very special people um, because we could um, provide that to people who may have not had that growing up. Definitely. Yes, definitely. And that just adds on to why it's such an honor to do what we do. And I also think of the quote that trauma is disconnection, but the opposite of that healing is connection. And a lot of times trauma kind of because of that disconnection, we feel isolated, like, oh, now I can't trust anyone. And that's valid too. But then it's so interesting to me how to heal is to kind of open ourselves up to that connection and therapy can be a wonderful place that can provide that too. Oh my gosh. I agree with all that. <laughs> definitely. Yes, absolutely. Definitely. And before we also, I want to definitely talk about the book. Um, but before we dive into that, I just want to hear a little bit more on your journey, getting to where you are. I know you shared a little bit about that already, but kind of what made you feel like you want to be a therapist? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, and I get that question quite a bit and it's sometimes difficult to answer because as you know, there's so many moving parts, but if I could go back in time, I think of myself in high school and even middle school, like I just had no idea what I wanted for my life. I, I didn't know if I was good at anything. I didn't feel like dedicated to any certain field. I didn't, I wasn't one of those people who said like, yes, I want to be a therapist from, you know, the minute I knew or whatever. Um, it was kind of this transformative process. Cause I think my whole goal was I want to live a really authentic and genuine life. And wherever that takes me, I'll be okay with it. I'll be okay with any outcome. So that, I think that helped me get to a place of having a career that I truly, truly enjoy and love. But um, I thought I was going to be a physician or I thought I was going to be a behavior analyst for kids with intellectual disabilities, which I really do miss that work because I did that a little bit. Um, It was really fun. Um, it It was such a privilege to do that work. But I was in high school. I was going down the wrong path. Um, I was getting into crowds that weren't good. And uh, I I found myself doing things that really weren't consistent with who I was as a person. And it was really, um, really shocking to me because I just didn't know where my life was going. Trying to deal with a lot of trauma. Um, Parents got divorced, 9-11, the whole thing. Um, So I was really lost. I had no idea like what I wanted to do. Um, When I got out of high school, one of my high school friends said, you know, why don't you join the first aid squad? And I was at the community college just kind of taking classes because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And um, I said, yeah, you know what? Why not? I have nothing else going for me at this point. Let me just try it. So I did. And it was just the most amazing opportunity. Uh, I joined the squad. And on the same exact day, um, there was another person joining. And his name is Brandon. If he hears this, he'll be really excited. But um, yeah, we became uh, partners pretty much. And we were together for about five years. And we would go on every call together. Like we were so close. Um, and we became really good friends and, and everybody on the squad, we became really good friends. And it actually taught me that there are people out there who actually care about your well-being. There are people out there who care about your success and want to help you succeed. Right. So I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. Like maybe I should go and go into the medical field. Right. Like I could just add on to this, like nursing or um, becoming a doctor. And then when I was really thinking about it, when I was on the ambulance, the thing that really made me feel like I was alive was when I could actually connect with people on a deep level. And when you're on that ambulance ride, it could be anywhere from like 10 minutes to like potentially like 45 minutes, depending on how long it is and depending on what we have to do to get the person stable. Um, And I noticed that, okay, like we're fixing physical wounds, but it felt really surface level for me because I would never see that person again. Right. I would just hope that they're okay. Um, So I would think about people. I would just think about them all the time. And I'm like, Oh, I wonder if so-and-so is okay. And I still do that. I still, I still think about certain cases I've had. 
Um, but I noticed that on the ambulance, I was really, really focused on the crisis calls. Um, people felt that they could talk with me and I was just excited that they wanted to. Uh, so it was really, really nice to have that connection. We've gotten people out of like a lot of really bad situations just by being able to have that human connection um, and having patience with people and meeting them where they're at. So I thought, hey, let me try to go into a field that honors that connection with people. And I, I just thought psychology would be it. So I got my um, bachelor's um, and then I was working for a group home at the time. And we were doing like behavior plans for you know, people with intellectual disabilities and trying to keep them in the least restrictive environment. So keeping them in their homes or keeping them in group homes instead of going inpatient hospitals. And I loved it. So I got my master's online because I needed like a certain certification. And then I started thinking like, I don't know if I'm making an impact that I really want to make. You know, I, I wanted to do something a little more, um, but I wanted to keep doing like this type of work. And then I kept thinking, okay, like, I'm not sure if I want to stay in Jersey anymore because that's where I'm from, New York, New Jersey area. Um, so me and my partner, uh, we were thinking like, where do we go? What do we do? So I'm like, I just want to be somewhere warm. So we literally Googled like temperatures and Phoenix, Arizona had the highest temperature out of like the whole United States. So we just packed our shit and we went. Um, no jobs, nothing, ended up going there. Um, and then I kept thinking, what do I want to do? Um, I became a master's level therapist under an LPC, loved it. And then I got into a doctorate program at Midwestern University. So that was really, really cool. Um, it was a really, really good program. I loved it. And then ended up working for a bunch of different places that I loved. I thought I was going to retire in the federal government because that was my last job. I loved it so much. It was like one of the best jobs I've ever had. Um, but then my family got sick. I've lost a lot of people to um, not COVID, but COVID related issues for the uh, this past year. And I had to step down from my position and it was really hard for me to make that decision. But I had this private practice. So I'm like, cool, I'll just do that because I had to fly back and forth to Jersey. Um, and then I got on TikTok and then that's, <laughs> that's where it all <laughs> got a little more crazy than I expected. So it's like the long and short of where I got to where I am now. Definitely. Thanks for sharing that. I always, I'm always so interested to hear how people got to where they're at now. And it's so wonderful to hear your journey and how you got here. And I'm really sorry to hear about the loss that you've experienced too. And a lot of times I think of being a therapist, it's like a lot of times we're also going through some of the very, not all the time, but you know, a lot of times, especially with COVID, we're going through very similar things that some of our clients are also experiencing. And I feel like that makes the work even more intimate and personal is like, we're sitting in that space with you. And we really feel that a lot too. Cause we're like, yes, like yeah. we understand we're going through that too. Yeah. I, that's a really great point. It's such a unique it's such a unique time to be a therapist. I, I think it's like, for example, I was always trained for my clinical training. Like if you have an open emotional wound, you might not want to treat someone with that same wound or like a similar one. For example, like if you have a certain trauma, you might not see a client with that trauma unless you've kind of healed to a certain point where you could be effective. And it's interesting because I think with the whole COVID thing and people losing people and just kind of dealing with all the things that we've dealt with over the past year, I'm honest with my clients. I'm like, we're going through it together. I wasn't trained to provide care to people in a global pandemic. Like it's just, it wasn't on the radar, um, but I'm learning and I'm, I'm here with you. You know, I'm doing my job as effectively as I can, but we're both in this space together. And like you said, it could definitely be more intimate. Exactly. Exactly. And I like how you mentioned on how to live life authentically, because I think that's a perfect transition into talking about the book too, because I haven't finished the whole book yet, but I've definitely put a dent into it. And that's kind of what I've gathered from it so far is like, it's about, okay, how can you live your life more authentically? And I want to kind of just read a little paragraph just to like put a little teaser out there before we start <laughs> talking about it. But I really love how under why this book exists, you mentioned life lessons to master before you die is focused on helping you show up to life authentically. Most of us wear a mask our entire life and endure situations or relationships that aren't serving us. What would life be like if you cut the BS, if you truly healed, if you allowed what is meant for you, become the best version of yourself? You don't have much to lose here. When you allow what is meant to be, you might be pleasantly surprised. You'll be forced to accept what is rather than what you're expecting for your life. I know you're thinking, but why would I want to do this? The short answer, focusing on your future expectations rather than reality isn't really living. It's simply dreaming. 
And yeah, I, I love that. I, that. I forgot that I wrote that. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> like, when you read it out loud, I'm like, oh, that is in there. Got it. <laughs> I love that. I love that yeah. so much. I feel like I personally needed to hear that because I'm always like in my head, I have anxiety. So I'm always mm-hmm. like thinking about the future. Oh, yeah. And then when I read that, I was like, yes, it's important to also be mindful and be present in the moment and accept every, like you say in the book, accept every version of yourself, even the one that isn't fully maybe where you want to be yet. Yeah. It's, it could be a beautiful and a painful experience all at once. And both could be true, right? Because if we're focused on our ideal version of ourself, potentially a version of ourself that we haven't met yet, we're not really actually living in an authentic, genuine existence. I mean, it's nice to think about that and to think about, Hey, what are my goals? I think that's really important to futurize, especially with anxiety. We do that a lot. Um, but I just found myself thinking about like, if I just like, I have nothing to lose here. Like what would life be like if I just like showed up as who I am, you know, did what I wanted, told people I love them when I did distance myself from people who maybe didn't serve me or things or activities in my life that didn't serve me. And I just kind of tried to let go of societal expectations and really just dive into who I was. And I actually was really surprised. I mean, there were people that didn't like it and that's okay. Not everybody's going to like us. Right. Um, But I think the more important part was that I started to like myself and I just wanted to share that with other people and let them know, like it, it might be painful, but it also might be worth it. Exactly. And that reminds me of that chapter you have in here is that's about how your opinion is the most important one. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Because especially like in the South Asian culture, we're always worried about other people's opinions. And it's a very community oriented culture, which is, can be beautiful in a lot of ways, (laughs) but it comes with its challenges too. And so I feel like that chapter really hit home with me. So I was like, yes, like I always tell my clients, come back to yourself. You owe it to yourself to figure out who you are. And I'm like, I need to take my own (laughs) advice here. And yes, I thank you, Kristen, for writing that in your book. I needed to hear that. (laughs) It's so funny when it comes from someone else, right? Because I hear you say that and I'm like, wow, that's so true. And if I said that to myself, it would look different. And I think that's probably one of the other reasons why like I wanted to go on social media um, is when you hear it from someone else, it might resonate a little differently, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And social media is so accessible too. And that's why I really like being on social media too, because not everybody can access therapy. I wish that was the case in an ideal world. We would want everyone to be able to have therapy, but the way our system is set up and our healthcare system and all that, I could go on a rant about that. Me too, yeah. so I'm going to stop myself. <laughs> there is an episode on that, but we, yeah. won't, we won't dive into that here. Um, but yeah, it's just not accessible for everyone. And so that's something that I love about social media is that this education, I feel like everyone deserves to have. And mm-hmm. ideally, you'd want to process it with a professional. But if you don't, or if you can't, then um, then definitely social media is a great place to access that. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what it's like being a therapist on social media, kind of quote unquote, a TikTok therapist. Um, <laughs> and what has been your experience so far with that? Yeah. Um, so I guess it's a mixed bag. It's super exciting and super fun. And to be honest with you, like I wasn't expecting any of this. I, I, I seriously wasn't. So during the pandemic, I was so bored and I downloaded TikTok. I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just, I'm just gonna bite the bullet. I'm just gonna do it. I don't care if it has like, you know, if it's an app for people who are younger than me, right? Because I think that was like the preconceived notion. Um, it created a community that I didn't know I needed. It it was so great. I actually met a lot of other TikTok therapists that are going through similar things. And I would have never met these people if I didn't download this app, right? And I didn't actually start to share content, which I always encourage people to do because you have no idea what people need to hear and you might actually inspire someone. But um, yeah, so I had a video, I think it was, I just came up on my year on TikTok and I had a video, I think it was like my second or third video and it was on cognitive distortions. And as a therapist, you know, like we all engage in cognitive distortions. Like they're just ways, fixed patterns and ways of thinking that might not be so helpful for us, right? So like rumination or like black and white thinking, all those things. So I posted it and whoa, people went crazy for this. And this is something that you could Google, right? But for me, it's like something that I live in when I, when I help people. Um, so they had all these really great questions. People were really, really um, interested in learning more. So I just made more videos. And by the time I knew it, there was like so many 
comments and so many, like I couldn't keep up with it. Um, so I knew that I had to reach out to other mental health professionals who are on TikTok because um, mental health professionals who maybe aren't on social media, you know, there's just differences there. They might not know what it's like. Um, you know, so I reached out to a couple of other TikTok therapists and I was like, Hey, don't know you, but, uh, SOS, how do you deal with this? <laughs> Help me. Um, so we talk a lot now too, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of hate comments. Um, there's a lot of great comments as well. Um, the hate comments, you know, they used to really bother me. They used to really get to me. I would like think about them all the time. Um, but luckily I, I feel like I'm blessed enough to have other mental health professionals that I talk with and we process them together. And it's always good because I think when I get a comment that's negative, my first thought is, okay, what about me caused this comment? Like, what, what about me, like made this come to fruition? Right. And sometimes it's like, okay, I could have said that differently. And I take feedback, you know, um, sometimes people are just mean, uh, you know, so my, my thought is like, well-adjusted people don't make fun of strangers on the internet, right? So that might fall into that category, but yeah, definitely a mixed bag at times, but overall really, really love it. Definitely. Yeah. Everything has a shadow side as my therapist says. Oh. Um, so yeah. I definitely see like the, the benefits of social media, but there is also like kind of the things, the negative things that come with it mm -hmm. as well. Um, and I also do like that disclaimer you have too, like this is not replacing therapy and all of that. Um, but there is such a wealth of knowledge that you're putting out there too and sharing with people. And, and I'm just so happy that, you know, you're on TikTok, you're, you're spreading this knowledge. Cause I feel like, like I said before, everyone deserves to be empowered with the knowledge about why our brain and bodies act the way they do. And I think it's wonderful that you create space for that. Thanks. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think there's a huge accessibility problem and I think of it even on a spectrum, like there's accessibility issues for people with insurance, without insurance. And then when we think about culture, race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, all these things, like there's a lot of um, mental health creators that I follow that are part of the LGBTQIA community. And they put out such incredibly rich content that teaches me every day. And I think it's really important, even as a therapist to check our own biases and keep learning. And I think this is a great space to like learn more. Um, even for people of color, like I learn every single day. It's not their responsibility to teach white people about these things, but I think it's really helpful. Um, and it aids in um, white people having conversations with their other white friends about mental health, right? Um, and I just think it's great in order to spread awareness. And like you said, I mean, not everybody could afford therapy or not everybody has access to therapy, really good therapy, quality therapy, right? So. Um, this is a nice um, adjunctive, I think, right? It's not a replacement, but it's also really helpful. Definitely, definitely. Yes, I love the way you worded all of that. Um, and I also, I know we were talking a little bit about what it's like being a therapist in the pandemic, but I also want to talk about like burnout because I personally, I'm a baby therapist. That's what I like <laughs> to call myself or like a pre-licensed therapist, I guess is right. the official way to say it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've, I've already kind of seen in myself kind of this burnout that happens. Mm -hmm. And I really love how in your book, you talk about mindfulness and spending time in nature, which has been my grounding. Like, I feel like that's been nice. my saving grace to kind of not push me too far <laughs> off the burnout train. Yeah. And I know you also wrote your dissertation on that. So I want to hear a little bit more from you on, um, preventing burnout in therapists as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like we talked about before, being a therapist in the pandemic is definitely a novel situation for me personally. Um, and I think most people, most therapists, but if we think about the constructs of burnout, it's this depersonalization and cynicism as it relates to our work. And there's a perceived dissatisfaction with how we're showing up professionally. And then that kind of creates this sense of like, I'm exhausted. I, I can't keep going or any little thing that's happening to me at work, even if it's not like a huge experience, it feels so magnified. Um, and I think people who are experiencing burnout have a lot of trouble disconnecting and really kind of taking a step back because all they want to do is keep working so that they could get ahead and, and not feel so exhausted and get all their work done. So a lot of the measures that we use, or at least that I've researched in my dissertation work, um, to mitigate burnout actually feel counterintuitive, um, but they're really important. So nature exposure, I'm so happy to hear that. Um, that's one of the constructs that I studied and we found that nature exposure actually really reduces um, and prevents burnout, mostly for healthcare graduate students, which is what I focused on. They have a higher likelihood of experiencing burnout than other professions. And I would even take it a step further to say, 
um, pre-licensed individuals, people who are in training, there is so much burnout. I mean, you're doing a million things. You have a million jobs, you have schoolwork, you have all this stuff, licensure, supervision, taking feedback, implementing feedback, learning. I mean, there's so many moving parts and you can't just kind of exist as one person. You have 95 hats, right? So I think with burnout, um, especially for people who are just starting out or people who are newly licensed or they're in training, it's really difficult um, because I know that it's difficult for me as just a fully licensed professional. So I literally cannot imagine what it's like now for someone who's just starting out, right? Um, but the three things that I focused on in my dissertation to help prevent burnout or at least lower the threshold of us experiencing them is um, self-compassion, nature exposure, and mindfulness. So if you're engaging in the present moment, right, living authentically and kind of acknowledging like, this is really tough for me, I really don't feel like myself, um, instead of distracting, that's one helpful experience, getting enough sleep, obviously all the health-related behaviors that are good for us. Um, getting out into nature and actually doing nature walks has been shown to be very, very helpful. Um, and self-compassion. So this is a really hard one for therapists, I think, because we're really critical of ourselves. So we might have compassion for our clients and other therapists and other people going through these things, but we have a higher threshold of criticism for ourselves. And that literally fuels burnout because it really makes us feel disconnected from our work if we're so critical. So self-compassion really from Dr. Kristen Neff, she's amazing. Um, how she categorized burnout or uh, self-compassion is literally what you would say to someone else going through a tough time, you filter that to within. And a lot of people that I tell that to, they're like, that's BS. I'm not going to believe myself. And I'm like, see, that's the problem. So if you were to say that to someone else, you have full faith in that message, right? But when you hear it yourself, just like, you know, listening to other people might resonate more, um, you have to start to trust yourself and, and trust that um, you can receive compassion. And I think that's what helps. Um, another component of self-compassion that's really important is this concept of you're connected to the greater human experience. And that's what I mean when I say connecting to other people sometimes makes people feel very alive because you're literally connecting on such a raw level and you're not comparing yourself to other people or comparing your trauma or saying I have it worse or they have it worse. You're actually noting my struggles are similar to the greater struggles that other people experience. And that might be the things that you're experiencing in school or as a therapist. I know some people have a tendency to want to validate themselves and say, hey, no, like my situation sucks. And it does. And you're right. It, it's not fun. <laughs> and other people might be going through something relatively similar, might not be the exact same situation, but our ability to kind of um, connect with other humans definitely helps. So those three things are the things that I normally focus on, as well as taking a lot of mental health days and PTO if you have it. <laughs> so definitely use your time off. Yeah. I'm saying this for myself too. <laughs> use your time off, use your, <laughs> use your yes. sick time, use all of that, your vacation hours. Cause I have so many friends that are therapists that are like, I have all this vacation time. It's just stacking up. And I'm like, use right. it. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not serving anybody besides the organization that you work for. You know, uh, what about you? You matter just as much as providing care. You know, uh, you have to give care to yourself. Um, it's interesting on the ambulance. They told us, um, I had a supervisor. He asked me one time, he's like, who's the most important person on the ambulance? I'm thinking, okay, we have a driver. And then we have the person in the back who's performing anything like, you know, bandaging or, you know, CPR. And then we have the client. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, the driver is important because if he's not driving to the hospital, then we can't get there. The client's the most important because that's why we're there. And then the person who's working on the client, like they're also important because they kind of have a distinguishing factor in, in whether or not they live or what the outcome is. So I was confused. I was like, um, I would probably say the client. I mean, if I had to choose and he's like, that's the wrong answer. I'm like, how is the client not the most important person? Like, I don't get it. And he's like, if you're ineffective and you don't fill your cup up, you will not be effective. And you're the only one with the skill set in this scene, right? Um, and if you're not effective, then everybody dies. And I'm like, whoa. And I guess it's the same for therapy. Like if you don't take care of yourself, then your clients don't actually benefit from what you have to offer. Even if you think that you're doing good, even if you're like, I'm super burnt out, but I'm going to go through the motions. Clients are really smart. They know when you're burnt out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They know when you're not like fully present in yeah. the session because we call them out on it too. Yeah. So yeah. I also like when clients feel safe enough to, or feel like we built that rapport enough to kind of call you out on something sometimes yep. too. And definitely I hear you. I love what your supervisor mentioned that like you are the most important person. I feel like a lot of times we're not used to hearing that. 
And so, um, especially as women, I feel like we go through so much like building that self-critical way of thinking, um, out of survival, but you know, it doesn't serve Mm -hmm. us after a certain point. So I really like, uh, all the points that you mentioned. And I know one of the things that I personally want to learn more about is sleep because that's something that I don't know a lot about. And I literally see this in almost every client I have is like Mm -hmm. my sleep is off. And so how do sleep hygiene and mental health inter intersect? Oh my gosh. I love sleep. Okay. So, um, I love talking about sleep. I love sleeping. <laughs> like I love everything about <laughs> sleep. So, so basically, um, if you look at, um, the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders, like, you know, um, of course there's a lot of bias in there and we're kind of navigating that as a profession right now. Um, one thing I like to highlight is in, in a lot of these di- diagnoses, there's, um, issues with sleep. So sleep kind of shows up in multiple areas of, if you have a mental health disorder, um, it also shows up if you are stressed, just simply going through something, right? So um, a lot of people with mental health issues, particularly anxiety, depression, and PTSD, those are the ones that I see the most, at least in my practice, there's always a component of sleep issues, whether that's sleeping too much, not sleeping enough, or they're dissatisfied with their sleep, they can't get to sleep on time, something like that. Um, And I got really involved in sleep work during my internship. Um, I had to run a sleep class, which I was actually dreading at the time. And I was like, gosh, this is gonna be so boring. Um, but I actually fell in love because people got better so much, so much quicker than I anticipated. Cause once you focus on sleep, other mental health symptoms usually remit, they don't go away completely, but they get a little better because when we sleep, when we have effective sleep, we're waking up and we're showing up as our best self essentially. And we're not irritable. We're able to kind of get through the day. We have a sense of esteem. Um, and I think sleep and anxiety actually go hand in hand. So if someone is super anxious, right it's most likely that their sleep is going to be implicated, especially if they're anxious around the time that they're trying to fall asleep. Um, So we noticed that people who have an anxiety threshold that's a little higher than others, it it might be difficult to kind of calm your mind down before you go to sleep. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I know we could probably have a whole episode just on sleep, probably a whole podcast just on sleep. It's so So, fun. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Yeah, there's a lot there. And I definitely if you're open to it, too, I definitely would love to have you back in the future, maybe just to focus on some of the things that we're talking about today, because I know today it's kind of like an introduction to all of these things. And um, so I would definitely like to revisit just the topic of sleep in general in the future. Um, But just like, you know, highlight your favorite um, sleep or suggestions for improving sleep hygiene. Oh, that's a good question. So if I had to choose, um, oh my gosh, I have so many in my mind right now, but I'm going to limit it. Okay. So the first one would be to wake up at the exact same time every day, if you can. And people hate me when I say this, I just gave a talk yesterday at a college campus and I was telling them, Hey, even on weekends, they were like, how am I supposed to party and have a life? I'm like, see, you're revisiting, you're, you're revisiting your whole life choices, right? About like your social experiences and how it affects mental health and how it affects sleep. But if we wake up at the same exact time every day, then our circadian rhythm becomes very, very, very robust. And it actually, um, like there's other, uh, things that happen in our bodies overnight, like memory consolidation, hormone secretion, all these things. And if we wake up at the same time every day, then our body is on the exact same schedule. It develops a routine. And then you'll notice you'll have those internal cues of sleepiness at the exact same time every day, give or take if you're drinking caffeine and you're stressed and stuff. So consistency, um, waking up at the same time every day if possible um, and exposure to light bright and early. So whenever you do wake up, even if you're on like a night shift experience, you wanna put your feet on the ground and expose yourself to light. It could be artificial light, just turning the lights on or something like that. Um, but that's really important because our circadian rhythm is located in the suprachiasmatic nucleus and that's in the hypothalamus. And that's literally regulated by consistency and exposure to light. So those are the two reasons why I mentioned that. Um, and then the third one would be having a solid routine right before bed. Um, most people say, hey, I wanna get into bed at a certain time. Um, I don't really care about the time I'm waking up. It's actually the opposite. When we wake up is actually more in our control because when you set an alarm, it's up to you whether you make a choice to not to get up or not. I know people feel like, oh, I'm so unmotivated. Yes. And you still have a choice to put your feet on the ground, you know, and, and all that stuff. So, um, so the nighttime buffer routine, I usually try to start it an hour before I'm anticipating going to sleep. So for me, that might be around like 9 PM, like between nine and 10. So I'll lower the lights, keep my house cool, keep it like darker. Um, 
and then really do like low level activities, like no scrolling on TikTok. Cause I know you and I talk about that. Um, so no scrolling on TikTok and social media, um, less screen time and reducing anything that's going to cause you to think, like think deeply about anything. Um, so that might be listening to like chill music or reading a book or something like that. Definitely. Yeah. I love in your book, how in the beginning you were like, set the scene, set the mood, light a candle, <laughs> yeah. play some music. It, and I was it like, makes a difference. <laughs> it does. And I like looked up and I had a candle lit. I had my like lo-fi beats playing softly in the background. And I'm like, wow, I already did this without even That's knowing amazing. that this is a part of the experience. There's a, there's a reason why I feel like my yeah. intuition was like, set the scene before you read this book or something. That's like amazing. That. That's exactly what we think about. Cause I think about the cognitive and the, the cognitive association that happens, right? When we listen to the same music, when we have the same routine, our brains are extremely smart. They're extremely like effective, right? And what they do and they make correlations between things. Like if this music is on, this candle is on and in other situations I was relaxed, therefore maybe I will be relaxed now even if you have a lot of stuff going on and it's the same with sleep. So if you're getting into bed and you're anxious and you're thinking about a bunch of things, your brain is gonna say, wow, this is the place where we're anxious and where we think and where we have space to think, so. Exactly. I like how you also mentioned having a routine for yourself. And I just think of everything I've learned about structure and the brain and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how, right. you know, the brain literally is, is wired to respond to routine and structure. And it really makes sense why having like a bedtime routine. And also I didn't even think about this, but a morning routine is, can be so helpful with creating that structure for your sleep habits to be better as well. Oh, smart. Yeah, no, the morning, yeah, the nighttime routine is important and the morning routine equally important. You know, um, I had a couple of the students last night ask me like, when should I be working out? I want to work out in the morning. What's, what's helpful. I'm like, well, if you're taking pre-workout at 8 PM to work out, you might not fall asleep. You know, you might have trouble. So you might switch that to the morning. If you need pre-workout to work out, if not, I mean, you kind of test your body and see what works. So I think these are really important to keep in mind. And it's also to, important to keep in mind that like you're an expert on your body and your experience in your life. So if you've tried, if you've tried a couple of things, right. And you've gotten feedback and you're trying to implement different things also go with your gut. I mean, some people like, you know, a certain bedtime routine that might involve their phone. I mean, they might be scrolling like puppies on Instagram and that might be really relaxing at the time. Like, of course we don't want the screen time, but in order to reduce the anxiety, that might be what that person needs to do. Exactly. Yeah. And if you find yourself having some resistance when you hear some of these suggestions, I would say that's normal because mm -hmm. even when um, you were saying like, don't scroll through TikTok before bed, I found myself being like, oh my God, I do. <laughs> I do that all the time. It's really bad. It's bad. And then I notice, I notice that it like the next day I'm exhausted. So it's not like these are like hard and fast rules. I think it's more a matter of like, acknowledging that these will be helpful and then reducing the expectations that you have for yourself for falling asleep, staying asleep, having energy the next day. I know a lot of times people are very critical of themselves of like, gosh, yeah, I did scroll TikTok over like, you know, for a couple of hours and I'm exhausted today. That makes sense. Like that makes, that makes sense. You know, um, give yourself a little bit of slack there. If, if that, if that happened, no need to feel shameful about it. It's more so a matter of reducing that expectation of like, now I have to operate at the same capacity. You might need, you know, to take a day off or something. Exactly. Yeah. And something, I feel like I'm always like coming back to your book because there's so much in here. Um, but something you said in the book too, is if you find yourself having this resistance, sit with the hard truth of, am I doing this pattern of behavior because it's comfortable or mm -hmm. because it's something that's, is it still serving me? Or am I just doing it out of comfort, you know, or is this what's actually going to be best for me and my health? And so that really just like, whoo, just like hit me. I was it like, hit, oh it my hits gosh. You. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think about it this way, like we do things for a reason. And even if we know that they're unhelpful for us, we still do them and it doesn't make us bad people. It, it really warrants the question of like, let me be curious. Let me just be curious about where this is coming from. And yeah, it might be a sense of comfort. It might be to avoid pain. It might be to avoid becoming the best version of ourselves. Cause that could also be like really scary to know our potential and to know that, wow, I could do a couple of things and I could reach my potential because sometimes we have self-esteem issues. We have mental health issues. So it's hard to imagine what our life could be like without those things. Cause they've been around for so long. So it's this like sense of familiarity. I know that was true for me for a while. Um, it was difficult for me to let go of those things because I was like, I don't even know who I am without this stuff. So mm -hmm. 
Definitely. Yeah. And also uh, I saw that there's a chapter in here about substance use and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I definitely need to, I I don't want to skip, but I'm like, I definitely can't wait for that chapter too. Cause (laughs) my partner is starting to become a doctor Mm -hmm. and he always is so wonderful about giving me all this like knowledge about how alcohol also really, really disrupts your sleep patterns and stuff like that. And I used to drink a lot, you know, especially when I first turned 21, but now like in my mid to late twenties, I'm like, I can't, I can't even do this anymore. Cause I won't even be able to be myself the next day. And I can't afford to lose a whole day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, hangovers last a little longer as we age, at least that's been true for me too. And yeah, he's right. I think there's, there's a lot of, there's actually a study that came out yesterday. I put it on my Twitter about how alcohol affects like cardiovascular stuff. I can't exactly remember what it was, but we noticed that alcohol and even over the counter sleep aids, depending on what your circumstances, we noticed that it reduces the latency to fall asleep, meaning the time it takes us to fall asleep. So when we have a couple of drinks, we kind of like pass out. Right. And we're like, oh, this is easy to, to fall asleep but we do notice that there's more frequent awakenings and we don't get into like those deep stages of sleep. Like our sleep architecture might be inhibited because if you think about alcohol, your body is trying to get rid of a toxin, right? And it's trying to do it overnight while simultaneously trying to sleep. And they're two opposite experiences of like sleeping is restorative memory consolidation, temperature regulation, uh, a bunch of other things. Right. And what alcohol is, it's a toxin that your body's really trying to excrete. So if your body is trying to do that, it's not really going to be so focused on sleep because it wants to get rid of this toxin. And I think it sometimes might think like, oh, this is going to aid in my survival if I get rid of it, even though we both know that, you know, alcohol in certain amounts is okay. Um, even if you just have one drink, but, um, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Cause I think I always tell people it's like, okay, do you want to fall asleep quicker or do you want to get really restful sleep? You know, um, that might be the question that you ask yourself and, alcohol isn't horrible all the time. It's just right before bed. If we're drinking like, you know, two or three hours before bed, our body is still kind of metabolizing that. And depending on how much we're drinking and your partner will tell you, you know, CDC recommendations for, you know, healthy drinking, I guess, or drinking to maintain health is like one standard drink for women and two for men. I wish they had a non-binary option in there, but um, that's what they suggest. Definitely. I love how you normalize substance use because I definitely yeah. want to normalize it. And I'm all about the harm reduction approach mm-hmm. as well. Um, Cause you know, it's impossible for us to just, I mean, some of us abstinence works, but I feel like for most of us, it's not possible all the time too. So yeah. I like yeah, how I mean, you mentioned that. Totally. And like, I like how you mentioned the harm reduction approach, because I think there's a lot of experiences, at least that my clients have told me that they feel like, um, providers or the media, or there's this message that they're receiving from somewhere that says like, these behaviors are inherently bad. Like if I'm using substances to cope, it's inherently bad. And my view on that is you're actually trying to help yourself in some way because you're trying something, right? Um, You're not just allowing yourself to suffer. It might not be the healthiest coping skill. So maybe we put it at the bottom of the list and we try other things, but it's definitely one that people find to be helpful in certain areas. But I, like you said, I think being curious about it as we age is important. Yeah. And I like how you mentioned it's okay if you drink, but maybe be mindful when you're going to stop drinking before going to bed. And I've noticed that I'm like my, I'm innately doing that as I'm getting older, like, Mm -hmm. like two, three hours before bed, I already am like, okay, I don't want to drink anymore. I (laughs) put a pause on it. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So well, there's definitely a lot. I feel like we could just like talk forever. Oh, we could literally, we could talk for days. <laughs> <laughs> you make it so easy too to talk about these things. So I, you know, I appreciate being here too. It's just the conversation has flowed. Definitely. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's been so easy. And I just love when I find people where I just like connect with them right off the bat and it just feels so easy. So thank you so much for providing that space too. And I just want to make space for any last thoughts you want to leave with the listeners before we wrap up for today. Yeah. Any last thoughts? So I guess my thought is um, if you are listening and you know, you're struggling with something in your life, just know that, you know, being curious and making intentional choices about your life will be helpful, but also acknowledging that we're all human we all make mistakes and most of us have messed up in our life. And most of us have like not shown up the best way that we knew how, but I think if you're listening to this, it makes, um, you know, I I guess it's like a first really good step to acknowledging like, Hey, I want to make some potentially some life changes or just be curious about life in a different way. Um, 
but but yeah so that that would be my last thoughts I could go on and on so I'm cutting myself off (laughs) 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 I'm being honest with you (laughs) definitely yes yes I love that so much it's like I'm just like sitting with everything you just, you said with those last thoughts too. And it connects us back to the the human experience that we Mm -hmm. all experience these things. And sometimes even acknowledging that's the hardest step. So sometimes I like to tell myself that too, like, listen, you've already made it past the hardest step. Now, you know, you can get through the rest of it too, in your own time. So I love that. Thank you so much for sharing those last thoughts. And also where can people find you? I'll put all of this in the episode notes as well, but um, where can people find you best if they want to look you up and follow you? Yeah. So I have, um, I have Instagram, uh, TikTok and Twitter, which I'm the most active on and it's at Dr. Kristen Casey. Um, I also have a website, not super updated, um, but social media would probably be the best outlet. Definitely. And I'll put those in the episode notes. So everyone go check Dr. Kristen Casey out, follow her, show her some love, get her book. (laughs) It's amazing. You won't regret it. It's filled with such amazing things. And thank you so much again, Kristen, for being here. I'm just so grateful that I was able to have this conversation with you. It was so rich and I'm just walking away personally so much um, from it. So I can only imagine that listeners are probably feeling the same. Oh, thank you so much. And it was an honor to be here. And I could tell that you'll be like a really, really, really good therapist and a contribution to the field. So thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So sweet. (laughs) Thank you so much. As always, I thank you for listening and staying tuned. If you like this episode, feel free to share it with the people in your life. I would also really appreciate if you would subscribe to Synergy Cast on whatever podcast platform you prefer, give it a five-star rating, and leave a good review mentioning what you like about the podcast. You can also follow the Instagram for updates, at Synergy Cast, and I have also included that in the episode notes. I have now a new feature, which is a voice memo feature, which I am very excited about. So if you would like to send in your thoughts and your feelings or your personal experiences, feel free to record a voice memo and send it my way. I would love to include your voice in the next podcast episodes. Lastly, if you are willing and able, there is another new feature where you can donate however much money you want to help support Synergy Cast financially. If you do choose to donate, the money would help me pay for several things. It would help me pay for myself, my own energies, my own efforts, and also the money would help pay my future guests especially people of color for their time, since I believe it is very important to compensate people of color, especially for their time and energy, since many BIPOC, which stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, have a history of being taken advantage of and underpaid or not paid at all for their efforts. So any and all ways you choose to support would be very much appreciated. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes coming your way soon. Stay safe, everyone, and take care.